Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. I'm Emmy Olea. On this podcast, I'm taking you on a search. A search for love. Emmy, 24, hardworking Latina. But there were other reasons I felt like I couldn't always be myself. My mom's in prison. This is Crumbs, my love story. It's a show about the things we settle for and the bits of ourselves that make us who we are. Listen to Crumbs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out the new podcast, I Am Kobe. Do you want to understand how Kobe Bryant achieved his unequal determination? How did he come to his incredible passion to win? In I Am Kobe, we reveal intimate, never-before-heard tapes of Kobe when he was a teenager, just as he was starting to glimpse his own greatness. It's about the making of an icon. We weave together these tapes with Kobe's high school coaches, his friends, and the figures who knew him in his youth. All episodes are out now, so you can binge the whole thing. Listen to I Am Kobe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Elizabeth, you're the co-host of that new podcast, Ridiculous Crime. Why, yes, I am. You know what's ridiculous? Yeah, carpeting in kitchens and bathrooms. Oh, wow, you are good. But you know what's also ridiculous? A 16-year-old who breaks into a car dealership and steals Guy Fieri's Lamborghini. What? Yes, to impress a girl. I'll tell you all about it on Ridiculous Crime, our podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heist and cons. It's always 99% murder-free. And 100% ridiculous. Listen to Ridiculous Crime on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jen Salata, and I was a writer on The Office. 
everybody. Uh, hello there. Welcome to another fan-freaking-tastic installment of The Office Deep Dive. As always, I'm your host, Brian Baumgartner, and yeah, she is back, baby. The laughiest writer from our set, probably the laughiest person uh, on this podcast, let's be honest, the person who actually got welts in her cheeks from trying to hold it in. <laughs> That's what she said. Uh, Jen Salata. If you haven't listened to part one of our conversation, do it. Okay? Just go check that out first. Because today, Jen and I circled back to talk about what it was really like to be a writer on The Office. How she started to blur reality from TV and how she helped write some of the most classic love stories in modern history, from Michael and Holly, the match made in heaven, to Dwight and Angela, the match made in, well, I don't know. Anyways, I love Jen. Jen is, was, always an absolute delight to have on set. And let me tell you, she has some stories. And speaking of stories, seamless transition right there. We have a place for you to see a bunch of stories, the greatest stories ever. Right now, you can pre-order on Amazon. It's called Welcome to Dunder Mifflin, the ultimate oral history of The Office. It comes out next week if you're listening to this live-ish, all right? So if you love this podcast... If you love this show, I, I will guarantee you, well, guarantee, I can guarantee you're going to love this book too. And well, the other thing I can guarantee, of course, is that you are going to love the wonderful, the brilliant, the magnificent friend of mine that is coming on right now, Jen Salata. Bubble and squeak, I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning. Left over from the night before. Where did the idea behind getting Dwight and Angela together come from? Oh my gosh. Uh, I would imagine it was something from the OG gang like Greg or or Mike or I or Paul. I'm not sure. I just remember the idea that the two of them were so strong and so specific. And I think I couldn't see Dwight with anyone and I couldn't see Angela with anyone except, wait a minute, <laughs> maybe you can't see either of them with anyone except maybe it was one of these like two things that have something in common. <laughs> they would repel a lot of things, but maybe not each other. So I think that there was some fascination in terms of how un-Jim and Pam it was and how it could be played for even more comedy, you know? Just the comedy romance was the exciting part of that for us. Of course, I like the layers and levels, so would want a tiny little bit of pathos in that or just to see the tiniest little undercurrent, not immediately, but of the two of them going through something that they want. But the comedy of them was, I think, the impetus for 
for that and seeing sure. wanting to see Dwight in a romance and see her in a romance like ugh, that just seems <laughs> <laughs> like a bug. That's like a bug you don't want to look at. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, going back, do you recall? Could you imagine that their wedding would end up ending the show? Ah. I don't think I could have known that. No. I mean, I was hopeful for it, but um, but I think what was cool about that show and felt brave. I think there was a bravery about Greg that is like, let's just go for it. Let's just go for it and we'll see, right? And and in general, people would ask, like, how much did you know about the end of a season from where you started at the beginning? And we would just carve out 13 because something could come up in that 13 that was so unexpected and delightful that we'd want to follow that more. Or something could not work for some reason. You don't know necessarily. I mean, I think there was a lot of faith in Dwight and Angela, but we always left ourselves open to how something could pop or not pop or, you know, but yeah, I, I don't know that I would have thought ending the whole series, like I would have thought it was right. like, a, you know, it's still, I don't kind even of think I would have mind. known we were going that many years. I mean, well, it's just sure. like, I was so excited. I, I certainly hoped so, but, um, why do you think the fans responded so much to Jim and Pam? God, I think they're so gifted that I feel like it was the right storyline with the right two actors. There was like a chemistry and a dynamic between the two of them. One of my favorite things I got to do with them was the Jinx episode where they didn't speak. I couldn't believe the moments I was getting where, you know, there's a moment where Pam, you know, says, oh, what are you going to tell me something? Oh, you can't tell me something? And he wanted to say that he liked her, right? But he's now has to be silent. But she says, what, is there something you want to tell me but you can't? And he looks just like his stomach drops and he turns white and he looks down. And then you see her see that he did that and know what that means. They were so incredibly gifted as like they could be silent film stars. I really feel like the dynamic between the two of them but I also think it was Greg's thing. And I keep kind of saying this kind of thing in different ways of like the beauty, the pop of beauty in the gray. Like having an episode that's not about them or is about, you know, you guys or Dwight or Michael and then having this little pop of Jim and Pam, not overdoing it. When you, it felt like it was doing stuff when it wasn't even doing stuff. Just seeing that Jim and Pam were in the background of a scene where you're like, they like each other, but they're not getting together was this thing that I feel like fans were rooting for. So you could have go to this anybody in this ensemble and give them a fantastic storyline and still feel the yearning between the two of them. Do you know what I mean? Right. It was like it, Yeah. It it and it well because it wasn't accelerated so quickly, the best things were things we had to reach for. And the fact that they weren't front and center, the fact that the pressure wasn't on them made us want to I, I don't know, just made us enjoy it even yeah. more. So when Holly is brought in mm -hmm. Do you remember any conversation about where Michael ends his journey on the show being with her, or was this just a limited thing? I can't quite remember what we've said about like ending the show. I just remember all the discussions about Jan and whether or not to evolve him. And Holly, the decision of Holly came out of the decision to evolve Michael's character past Jan and to a point where he was finding a peer. So we wanted somebody who was a peer relationship, and it didn't necessarily, I mean, in my mind, and it have to be that it would be her and her forever, but that she would be the first person that, you know, was really a peer for him and that he, it, the evolved Michael would have picked. So if we wrote the character right and if it worked out, 
if she left him or if he left her, that he would be devastated, that it would be a real peer relationship and then the consequences of a real peer relationship. The fact that she was so fantastic and then we got to keep her around and keep using her is, in our biggest dreams, she would be she would be Michael's person. I remember when we wrote the first episode that she was in, Paul and I, and Paul had the first half and I had the second half. And Paul, it, all that Yoda stuff was just pure Paul, just genius. I read it and I was like, holy shit, this is fantastic because she's Michael, but she's different enough. And it was sort of like, how do we get somebody that is a peer for him, that adores him, um, that is goofy, but also like him. You just want, you love her. You feel her. You, She's so sweet. And you just, you know, you're excited for her. And um so the dynamic between the two of them, I thought, was phenomenal. So, so as soon as we saw that, it was an instant, yes, this is this is going to work. Right. Because <laughs> you can think about it and you can write that he's going to have somebody that's kind of a little bit more evolved. But I think as soon as we saw that, we just fell in love with them. Right. Right. Because <laughs> in your head at first and you're like, is this going to work? Like, what if we evolve him past Jan and we write this character of Holly? You know, this is before knowing it was Amy and everything. And then what if it's just boring and it's not funny and it doesn't work? So there was stakes on this of like, uh-oh, like, how do we do this? And um, thank God Paul <laughs> wrote those Yoda scenes. Like, <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's so great. Yeah. <laughs> thank God. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Rain and I got into a conversation where I – well, what I said to him was – that I consider Dwight and Michael to be one of the greatest comedy duos <laughs> of all times. Where do you feel like they fit in, in terms of sort of the legacy of comedy duos? Oh, I agree completely. I think they were just one of the best. They're up there with the greatest. I think their abilities individually and then bouncing off of each other, they were so specific in – Dwight's wanting to be more than he is in Michael's eye. I mean, I'm thinking of drug testing when Michael asked for Dwight's urine. It's like the ultimate ask is like going against his ethics and responsibilities as a sheriff. But then this is Michael asking him. And then they're both just so crazy gifted. I mean, there were times where I just had to leave the room. Like I, I couldn't, I was going to laugh and I was going to ruin a take. So I had to, I had to get out of there. Like... <laughs> You were maybe the laughiest writer. <laughs> no, I was so bad. It was so bad. I yeah, uh, I remember you. But it was funny how I like you put any human being in a situation with you guys in that area in that bullpen, <laughs> and like, what are you supposed to do? Like, how do you not laugh? Like, <laughs> I, I was biting my cheek at times. Like, I would go home and like I'd have little like welts and stuff. I had a I had a trick. What was your trick? I had a Why trick. Did you tell me this then. No, I had I had a trick at times. I mean, it was just mostly. And it's funny because where I really remember you laughing is in the talking heads. Again, oh, yeah, where yeah, you're trapped with you guys. Where you're so trapped. Extra. Well, in that same room, in the conference room, that was where it was the most difficult because somehow you felt trapped. You couldn't turn around. You couldn't turn to the side. Like you couldn't find a pole to hide behind. Yeah. Like there was sort of nothing to be done. Yeah. So I was that your index finger and my thumb. Yeah. I would take that and I would bury my fingernail uh. into the side of my thumb. And it was just trying 
to just think about that small amount of pain that was there <laughs> and not <laughs> Steve being prison Mike or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. was insane. Just not doing that. There was one moment with Rain where Greg and I were there. I don't remember who was writing and directing. I think he was directing and I was the writer. And we were sitting there across from Greg. And I think Matt Sohn is there. And Dwight is talking. And he's doing a talking head. I cannot remember the topic. But – Greg leaps. He leaps. He can't be in the room. So he leaves and he's like outside of the stage even. And then I move and sit in his chair so he can have eye line. And then I leave. I can't do it. I leave. And so basically Rain is sitting there being like, is that okay? Did anyone see that? Is it okay? Can we move on? Like nobody's there. But it happened with you. I remember it happening with you several times. What happened with you is that just you could see your brain work. You can see yourself thinking. And there were just moments where – I knew what was coming up or I knew what was going to happen. And it was just this delightful journey of you getting to what you were going to say. And I was like, I'm not going to, I'm going to lose my shit. And so I would bite my cheek, but half the time I would just lose it. Uh, <laughs> it was like an exposure uh, uh, psychology for my laughing. Yes. Uh, Greg talked about the cast too. So not just Michael and Dwight, but mm. you know, the accountant's corner, oh God, yeah. but Dwight and Jim as well. And that really everybody fit together like a puzzle. Yeah. God, it was such a gift. I mean, to come in, I came in after the casting process, obviously, and I was just so impressed with all of you guys. It was phenomenal. Just like so strong, such good comic actors, but also so specific in terms of your characters. It felt like you guys were living in those characters. You were, you were just so true to them so that you could be delighted when, you, you know, Angela would come over and ask you to do something. Right. It was just you were uh, amused already because you just knew that, like, you guys were so dialed in and you were just going to knock it out of the park. What do you think makes Michael a great leading man? I think that he cares so much about the people that he works with. It's his family. He doesn't have a family outside of that. So it's very important that things go well and he's rooting for them. But at the same time, he is so uh, different in the way he <laughs> approaches everything. Right. I think the contrast between caring so much and liking the people that he works with and loving them and wanting them to do well and yet not having the ability that he should have as a manager at all, <laughs> like that tension is fascinating to me. I think you asked about Michael, but I think Steve is such a genius. You know, we could get away with more because he was so gifted. We could push because he could he could have that undercurrent of humanity and where it's coming from underneath the broadest thing. I mean, certainly there were lines, but we could push that so far <laughs> and still have it read true. And I remember, you know, seeing first season of The Office, seeing 40-year-old Virgin, and then I was just like, Oh, there's nothing this man can't do. I mean, he would do do takes completely differently, give you all these different sides of things and sides of him. I just felt for him. I felt for him enormously because he could do the sillier, jokier thing, but there always was the truth and the reality that was grounding it. I always felt where he was coming from. I always felt like he wanted to connect or didn't want to disappoint or, you know, like, uh, I don't know, he was just extraordinary, so... I mean, he was, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it is. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Because you can have you laugh, and then in, a, in another moment, you can just cry, and he can just turn. There, there was a moment, 
And I, I don't remember. I think I was I wrote it and I wasn't directing, but I was on set and he was doing a scene with Holly and they were having this kind of intimate scene and then they started laughing about something and I started laughing and he Steve turned to me. I think this is on the blooper reel, actually. He turned to me and I was like, oh my God, I'm sorry. He's like, we're acting here. <laughs> like he just was laughing, but he was laughing. They were laughing so real, which is of course what acting is. But like, I was like, oh, they broke because it's just, just, just feels too real. And so there were just moments with him where I like couldn't, I just couldn't tell, you know, because it was just so true. Yeah. I haven't asked anybody this, but it's just occurring to me. Do you, do you think that there was, because of Steve's ability to improvise, did you feel like the words that the writers were writing were less precious on this show than anywhere else? Or did that game not change? I, I personally, I feel like they weren't so precious. I think especially with him. Everybody was so talented on the show. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Show, But Steve had an ability to understand so much the subtext of all the text that I felt like changing things up or adding something always. I mean, I think of Oscar, kissing Oscar and Gay Witch Hunt. It was like the best moment, uh, one of the best moments of the whole show. <laughs> and it's just you knew it was on story, it was on theme, and it was funnier than what was scripted. So I felt like he had great respect for the text, but he had this ridiculous ability to understand everything in such depth that if he was going to change things up, it was always going to honor the intention. Yeah. 
I've been asking people who was the greater loss, oh. Michael or Steve? Oh, I, uh, <laughs> Steve. I mean, I wasn't there, but I just feel like everybody saw what a genius he was with the Michael Scott character, but getting to see him outside of that and how, you know, good he was with everybody else. I mean, we'd have, like, I remember we had an actor come in who was very young and very new, and Steve just working with his performance and dialing it in different directions so that he could help this person get up to that level, you know, and it, uh, there were so many kind-hearted things he did that like, you know, Michael Scott was brilliant, but to know that that's who he's playing, but then he steps out of that role and just as a human was just such a good man, I, I have to say Steve. It's a hard time for hiring. So you need a hiring partner built for hard times. That's Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Anybody who is deemed to have power who thinks differently is a threat and needs to be eliminated. Big Brother, North Korea's Forgotten Prince, is a new true crime podcast that investigates the life and mysterious assassination of the man once destined to be North Korea's next dictator, Kim Jong-nam. Join us as we interview top experts and investigate the rise and fall of the Hermit Kingdom's one-time heir. From his early promise... He should have been a successor. To the deadly palace intrigue. There's a lot of cloak and dagger, you know, James Bond kind of stuff about Kim Jong-nam. To the power struggles that ultimately spelled his doom. In North Korea, it's business. It's not personal. When somebody challenges you, that challenger must be eliminated. Listen to Big Brother on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming February 23rd. Did you know that on the day Dr. King was shot, the all-black security detail normally assigned to him was called off? They're the ones 
who would not allow him to stay at any hotel with balconies. That security union was reassigned. There was a man there who had just gone in and was contract on my life that I was to go home. Did you know that on the day Dr. King was shot, two black firemen stationed across the street and one black police detective who was surveilling King were all taken off the job? What was the emergency that caused you to be moved to another fire station? Sure, there was no emergency. Chief Wallace, did you ever ask what this was all about? Yes. And then what were you told? Told that I had been threatened. This is the MLK tapes. The first episodes are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Did you ever think of Greg as a teacher? Hmm. I feel like it, I learned an enormous amount from Greg. I'm trying to think of the thing, my my greatest takeaways from being with Greg. I had been writing for a while by the time I was working with Greg. And so I think that even though there were writing things to learn, I think I learned a lot of things about leadership that I really was kind of focused on or thinking about. He was phenomenally good at story and so many things. So I learned from just being around him about how he approaches and how he attacks things. But I'm just going to try to think about the things. Now I'm, I'm my brain, I'm sort of thinking about it live. I have a little bit of ADD if you haven't noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> One thing is he had this idea about blue skying where he would say, let's think about ideas in this area. And we would think about it and we would just think about, throw out ideas, throw out ideas. Even when we had great or even excellent ideas, he's like, keep going. So the amount of times we had something that was great and he would come in and challenge and test and want to take it and shake it and turn it upside down. Every time we did that, we came up with something better. It wasn't lateral. It wasn't worse. It wasn't that we should have stayed with that first thing. It was better. So the fact that he hired people that were so animated and passionate, and he wasn't scared of somebody who would constantly challenge him, you know? Like, he wanted to have people who would fight him on stuff in the room. He wanted wherever the idea came from that was best he just wanted that idea in there. It did not have to be his idea. And I've worked with showrunners who are brilliant, but it had to their stamp had to be on something. But to his credit, he uh, got a, a group of people that all thought differently and that were going to fight in the room about things that mattered to them. They all gave a shit and they all fought. And I've been fortunate enough to work with a bunch of different people and I sort of divided everybody into all the showrunners I've worked with into I basically, <laughs> I told Greg this, I said, they're all control freaks because you have to be some level of, you know, really caring and being very meticulous about what you put out into the world. But I think there are control freaks with egos and control freaks without egos. And the difference between creating a show with that kind of vibe where you have somebody very smart filtering everything and deciding it, but wants to hear everything and wants to be challenged. And if he doesn't agree with you, I'm going to come back and say it three more times. You know what I mean? Like, there's, I, 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 with the no sound of the proposal, I, I just was beating that drum for weeks because it meant that much to me. But um, stakes and escalation and surprise and all those things, he's such a master at. And some of those, um, either I relearned or learned a Greg way of doing things that was phenomenal. But I kept thinking about leadership when I was working with him. So interesting. 
So other than blue skying, if there's anything else specifically about the work in the writer's room or constructing stories. Well, it was like a a beautiful mind in there. I don't know if anyone's told you that. Note cards everywhere. Thousands and thousands of note cards, fragments, pieces of cards, pieces of stories, character um, things. You'd look at a card and you were like, I have no idea what this card means. Like you have to try to remember um, uh, candy bags. You know, like I didn't know candy bags before The Office, which was we would have, you know, a 35, 40 page script sometimes. And eventually it would be 20 minutes or 21 minutes. And then additionally, we would have sometimes a 60 or 80 page joke bag. So like for every talking head of of yours, we'd have 10 additional talking heads if we had the time and, you know, we could get to them. We'd have alternate jokes for scenes. Um yeah, I think that the I'm trying to think of other Greg things that were specific. No, that's I could tell very a story if you want about Greg and I trying to write a script together. Um, well, go ahead. <laughs> I, wonder yeah, should, I wonder if I should say this. Um, I think you'd be fine with this. But I had to write an episode with Greg at one point. I mean, I'd love to write an episode, but like we both usually wrote alone and then we were going to try and write together. And my process at the beginning of writing is a lot of procrastinating and just like procrastinating and then panic and then writing. Um So I remember we sat down to write and both of us seemed like we were just sort of like, it's one of those writer things where you just make sure the temperature is exactly right. You have all the pencils exactly sharpened. Should we order lunch? Maybe we should order lunch. Or should we, uh, you know, go for a walk? Like make sure, sure, you know, you're just kind of avoiding getting to it because it's hard. It's wonderful, but it's hard. And um, I think at that moment, he he was having some sort of a, I don't remember if it was a back thing or a shoulder thing, and I was having an ear problem. And so, like, we looked up, I think, on WebMD, like, what was going on with my ear. And, like, I think we uh, he got me to put some, like, olive oil from the kitchen in my ear because I was like, I think that this will help. And we're sitting there, and we're on WebMD, and we're just not starting. We're not starting. We're just diagnosing what's wrong with my ear and what's wrong with his back. And we're spending a lot of time doing this. And eventually we just like, he's like, oh, I'm going to write act one. You go write act two. Like, wait, wait, we can't. We cannot sit together and do this because it's like taking the individual traits of this and and exponentially magnifying it. But we turned it into a Michael and Dwight. Uh, they're on WebMD. And Dwight is like, point to your body where it hurts. And he does. And it's like, something's wrong with your uterus or your ovaries. <laughs> <laughs> like, anyway, it be- so very often what was happening in our lives became in office episodes. <laughs> that was me actually writing a script with the genius, Greg, but seeing that writers are all the same when they're, we can avoid for a little bit starting the hard stuff. <laughs> oh, that's so amazing. That sounds like so both of you too. <laughs> um, so when Greg left mm-hmm. season five, mm-hmm. you and Paul are showrunners. Yes. So what, how did he go about asking you? Oh my gosh. I can't, um, Oh, I kind of want to tell you another story, but it's going to be circular again. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, I want to tell you another story, and then we'll go back, and then you can just okay. splice it in. Um, I told Greg this, and I think he he doesn't remember this, or he denies this, but early on, Greg asked Mike and Paul and I to sort of be, um, I'm terrible at military things, lieutenants? Is that like a person okay, like sure. underneath the captain? Yeah. He's the captain. <laughs> like, okay, right. so we were going to kind of be underneath him and take over some responsibilities, you know? So he said we were going to be meeting like once a week, and we were just talk about certain things, and like maybe divide up, like, you know, Mike was going to be responsible for some things, and Paul and I, and then ultimately we report back to Greg. Greg would be in charge of everything. He was just getting some help. And I remember he gave a a memo um, and it was kind of like, okay, we're going to meet every Monday in in this room here. And it's going to be from, you know, nine o'clock to 10 o'clock. And I think there was like one rule. And the rule was something like, 
say things if you can in like the quickest amount of time that you can say them or something like that. It was very polite and it was very, it was like, it was basically like kind of try to stay on track. And then I'm like thinking about it and I'm like, Mike is very succinct. He likes to talk, but he's very succinct and he says everything. And Paul doesn't talk that much. And I was like, this memo is telling me not to talk so much. I was like, no, this is not Greg trying to quiet, uh, you know, a writer because Greg like always, but I talked a lot. So I really was like, this is like him saying, you know, try to try to be careful in how you pick what you're saying and like keep that it down to the amazing. things that are important. So the takeaway needs to not be Greg was trying to quiet me, but more that I talked a whole hell of a lot. So I was like, you wrote that memo for me. There was no, we knew what room to be in and we knew what time it was. This was a memo to say, stop talking all the time. He's like, I don't think I did that. I was like, I'm pretty sure you did that. Anyway, so... So Paul and I had some responsibilities, and we had been right. so taking you and Mike, over some things. Yeah, you and Mike and Paul had had yeah. some responsibilities. Had some prior responsibilities this. leading into this, so we would start to run rooms. So I just think that um, I don't remember actually him like the day that he asked us, but I remember being very excited. You know, like I was nervous, of course. I wanted to do a good job, and we felt an enormous amount of responsibility. But I also felt like he wasn't like you know get on a boat and leaving. We wouldn't be able to contact him, and he would you know, help us navigate this and we'd be able to ask questions. Um, Do you remember anything about, you know, you're running the show now and mm -hmm. NBC, I understand there was some pressure about mm -hmm. bringing in some A-list star for the Super Bowl episode. Yes. Do you remember anything about that? Yeah, or, I remember. Or your response to it? I always feel like you just don't want to be taken out of the moment of the show. And I sort of remember for the first time, I feel like NBC was so good and they gave such good notes and I felt like they just really trusted Greg and they trusted the writers and the actors, uh, certainly. And uh, But I do feel like the Super Bowl put pressure on the power. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. 
The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. That be so that it was a little bit of, I remember hearing this, and it could be incorrect, but this is how it was. I remember hearing that the goal was to write an Office episode that all of the fans who are already fans of The Office would know and love because it's their favorite show and we're going to just write a typical Office episode. However, at the same time, an Office episode that's not like an Office episode so that we can get new fans in. <laughs> like, so right. it was like these two things contradict each other. There's no way to do this. And I think that became one of our hardest stories to break because we came up with other stories and ended up throwing out more stories on the way to that final story than any other episode because we were trying to appease to our fans and also maybe broaden it a little bit more to get new fans who needed to have something, some bells and whistles of some other kind to then get them in and then we'll still be the same office. <laughs> Right, <laughs> But so I think the idea to put the celebrities in a movie was a better idea of how to handle that. But I think I, I remember pushing back on the celebrity thing because I never like when something bigger comes into our world. Are you proud of your your year show running? I am. I, I am. I am proud of it. I feel like we did a good job. I don't know if I could be the one to judge it, but um, but I'm particularly proud uh, in the Michael Scott paper company because it was kind of towards the end of the year and we were tired, you know, and it was a fun thing to do. And it was a little bit of a risk, not a huge risk because we had, you know, three of our characters going off. But, you know, it was hard, but very, very rewarding. And I feel like, yeah, it was one of my favorite years. So you go from being a writer to being a lieutenant <laughs> to being a co-showrunner and then you started directing. <laughs> How was that for you to be on set and directing? Crime Aid was the first episode. Crime Aid was the first one. And this is, um, I don't know if you know this, but on Beach Games, which was just a crazy episode, I had like a 42-page script. It was an hour yes, long. Maybe it was even long. longer. Yeah. Actually, I'll tell you two, two quick. <laughs> I'll tell you two quick things. Yeah. One was that there was just so much to do, and we didn't have the time. I think it was one of Ed Helms's first episodes too. Can't remember when he joined the cast. It's early first season, on. first season, and not, not overly that long after he joined Scranton. From I remember, we were going to put him in a sumo suit, and we were going to pull him out in the middle of the lake. And I remember I had to go. There was so much chaos that he was like in hair and makeup or something. I don't remember what it was, but he missed the safety <laughs> meeting, and he like he you know maybe he was briefed. I'll say you know he was briefed on it, but I remember very specifically hearing that there were water snakes and whether or not to tell him and I don't think I did. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, I think they're near the edges. I didn't want that to be in his head. I didn't want him to be scared on top of it. So I'm sorry, Ed. If, <laughs> I know that somebody supposedly briefed him, but I didn't hear them say the water snakes part. I was like, I don't know what to do here. Because <laughs> if I was oh an actor, I would gosh. not want to know that. <laughs> but I think... <laughs> <laughs> but that was a moment from Beach Games. But it was, I think it was because of the chaos that there was a lot happening at once. And so I ended up at one point, Kent called and we we had to stop. We had to stop. It was like we went over and then we went over again and we went over again. And we have like 45 seconds to get this scene, right? And he calls me and he's like, he's like upset. I understand. It's he's we gotta get the scene. And I make this decision of like, I can either 
explain to you why I don't have time to talk to you right now and how if you let me have this 45 seconds, we will get everything and we will stop or I can go do it. So I just like quietly, he's like talking kind of loudly. I just put the phone on a chair and then like, like, let's go. And then we get it and we got it. So I was like, it was one of those moments where I was like, uh, I, we won't get it if, you know, if we keep, if, having, if we this keep having this discussion about yes. how you want to get it. And it, it wasn't his fault. He was upset and it was the last minute. But during that, I think the very last day of shooting, there was just so much and we had a lot of things kind of spill over because it was just a huge episode. There was one moment where Harold Ramis said to me, you go do the people, I'll do the tech stuff for the scene. Like we divided up as a showrunner or whatever, I was able to kind of communicate with you anyway, but normally on a set as the director that speaks, you know, so he was sure. like, go kind of communicate what you want and what's in the scene and I'll kind of work on the camera stuff. So I guess he had mentioned, and this is more about Harold Ramis just being incredibly generous than about my abilities. I can swear to you that um, at the time, but he had mentioned to Greg that maybe I should be directing. So Greg had asked me if I wanted to do it and I was like, oh, a thousand percent yes. I was... Super nervous when I first started directing. Um, I remember Ed or somebody else, I think it was Ed, had said, you know, fake it till you make it. Like, it's advice in them, you know, and I was like, I can't fake it. I'm terrible at faking it. I'm just going to look like I don't know what I'm doing. So I just researched and studied and tried to, knew that you guys were phenomenal and nobody was going to make me look bad because if I just screwed something up, you guys would elevate it and no one would notice. Well, <laughs> no. I don't know about that. Somebody would have noticed. Somebody would have noticed. Maybe but, not us, but yes. Sure. Hey, it's Dua Lipa. I'm here to tell you about my brand new podcast, Dua Lipa at Your Service. I'll be sitting down with the world's most inspiring minds to uncover what makes them tick, what they've learned from their successes, failures, and the obstacles life has thrown at them. We're going deep with people revolutionizing not just their own industries, but also culture more broadly. From Lisa Tadeo, the author redefining what it means to tell women's stories, to the fashion industry virtuoso Olivier Roustain. You'll even hear me break bread with some of the most iconic and dishiest names in pop culture, like Sir Elton John. After a lot of upsets, a lot of disappointments, a lot of betrayals, it's turned out to be the most wonderful life right now that I could have ever imagined. I can't wait to share all of this and more with you. Listen to Dua Lipa at your service on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Dutton. And I'm Elizabeth Dutton. Oh, wait, sorry. Zaren, do you want to say your name? No, I'm good. Go, go ahead. We're the hosts of Ridiculous Crime. People love true crime, right? The mystery, the intrigue, the human frailty. Totally. But what a lot of us don't like is the blood and the guts and the mayhem. Wait, 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 wait. Some of us do like the mayhem. Uh, okay, but let's be real. There's nothing funny about murder. Okay, that's right. Our show gives you stories like the kidnapping of Frank Sinatra Jr. and the Max Headroom signal hijacking. 
Oh, so you mean ridiculous stories like the UK cat shaver and Pablo Escobar's cocaine hippos. Yeah, stories like the dudes who stole Buzzy the animatronic whatever he was from Disney World and the woman whose husband tried to kill her but came back from the dead and surprised him at her own funeral. Yeah, that does sound good. You can find this new podcast, Ridiculous Crime, all over the place. The iHeartRadio app, the Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I don't know how you live. Ridiculous Crime. Okay, so then after season five, mm-hmm. you and Paul are both in charge, and you decide to to take a step back. Why did you yes. decide to do that? So this is such a hard thing to explain because it was my favorite job ever. I felt so lucky. I felt so blessed to be on that staff. I It was the show that most matched my sensibilities. Like I felt like I won the lottery. I really, really did. I think what happened, and I don't know if it was because we were doing so many episodes a year, but I just started to get a little bit like... It's a weird thing to say because the show was, you know, phenomenal, but I started to get a little bit bored in that, like, I wasn't able to think in the same way and come up with the same kind of stories and characters and moments, and it got harder. And I think part of me, too, there was something pushing me more and more and more to write original material, to be challenged, to throw myself off the deep end and have to create a world of my own. You know, I really just also wanted to... (laughs) I wanted to be able to bring my A game, and I felt like I think I wanted a little bit of a new challenge. But it was an incredibly difficult position, and um, <laughs> I wonder if I can tell the story. I'm going to tell it, and then I can just always ask him if it's okay to say it, but <laughs> whatever. I decided I was going to leave, and it was incredibly difficult. Um and I told Jean, I said, you know, I'm going to end up telling Greg that I'm going to leave. And, like, it was, you know, difficult for me, you know, whatever. But I just said, don't say anything because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it, you know. But I just want to let you know. I don't know why. I just felt, an, uh, you know, affinity to those guys. And Gene laughed. And he taught me a lesson that I keep to this day. He laughed. And he said, I think it's funny that you think I'm thinking of anything other than myself at any given moment. <laughs> Like, I'm not going to tell him. And I went up to tell Greg, and this was a Friday, and I was like, I'm just going to get it over with. And I go to the, I'll go to his office, and I start crying, like, on the way to his office. And I was like, not today. Ladies, don't cry at work, which I have cried at work. But I was like, so I just turned around, and I couldn't tell him. And then I told him then on Monday. But I was just, it was that painful. I just felt like I wanted a new challenge. I loved everybody so much, though, that it was such a difficult decision. And I I just felt like, um, yeah. Yeah. I remember you telling me on set, don't know why, Mm -hmm. but I just remember thinking, oh, well, that's a real loss. Oh, thank you for saying that. I... It was really, really hard for me. I I loved you guys. I mean, just loved you. And it was awkward for me, too, because I felt like it was a hard thing to explain because I didn't know how to say it because I didn't think the two things matched up. This was the best job I ever had. It was the most aligned with what I love to do. I love the cast more than any other cast I'd been with. I love the writers. Um, so... I was frustrated with myself for a while, and I spent some months trying to decide it because I was like, what's wrong with my brain that I can't? I mean, literally, I just like, I just start being frustrated on myself of like, you know, what the hell? But I think it was just wanting at that point, and I had done other shows. I started at 
I started on home improvement. I came up with whatever Wilson said, you know, like a lot of the Wilson yeah. stuff in his backyard. So I'd been writing for a long time, and I think I wasn't necessarily brave enough to go out and try to write things of my own. And I think the office, in fact, just remembering this right now, when I was telling Greg this, I felt like I was brave enough and confident enough to go off and do my own things because of my experiences on The Office. And he's like, I did this to you. (laughs) I created this. I created you wanting to leave. (laughs) So I was like, so yeah, it was a difficult, it was really difficult for me. Yeah. Um, Why do you think, well, the show is bigger now in pop culture than it ever was when it was airing on NBC on Thursday nights. Why do you think people are connecting to it like they haven't? Or not that they haven't, right. but why has it become such a phenomenon? Well, um, maybe the part A is to just compliment it. <laughs> but, but I'm just I just think Greg and you guys and you know everybody created such a kind of almost timeless comedy show where it's like you very much relate to the people and there's such heart in it was well written the actors everybody brought such comedy and some pathos and everything to it so I think that it's one of those like lightning in a bottle things where everything coalesced at the right all together to create this thing and then I think people don't sit down to watch TV at a certain time on a certain night. It's like people want to have it when they want to have it. They want to, like, I think I read Billie Eilish has watched every episode 11 times. And she said that she has it on the in the background sometimes when she's just in her tour bus. Like, she has other things to do. Like, I feel like there's something kind of comforting about it, the relationships that you relate to and that there's it's so real. But you want to be able to put it on when you want to put it on, and especially younger people, so that they just can, you know, watch it whenever they want to digest it and watch it. And so I also think that there's something happening right now where everybody's so fragmented and everybody's so divided. There's a comfort that comes, which is weird because I think it is subversive and it is crazy, but there's a comfort that it's like, I know these people. They're like me. I know these people. I feel safe here instead of like, you know, whatever else is going on around you, you can kind of retreat into that. In a weird way, I felt that way with the Mr. Rogers movie. I was like, oh, God, just come hug me, Mr. Rogers, again and again. And there's like a weird thing, which is is subversive in it, you know, but I do think that you feel like you know them. You feel like they're family, and then it makes you feel you can kind of disappear with them and stay with them for a while. It's not a one-off, and you care about all you guys. You cared about the characters. Right. What are you most thankful for? in your experience on the show? Getting to be a part of it. I mean, really just getting to be there. Um, I, I I would say overall, just being a part of it, getting to be in that writer's room and getting to work with you guys, getting to work with the actors. Um, it made me realize what is possible and what at the best something could be. Yeah, I just feel so, I feel so lucky and grateful on, on, a, on a smaller note, I think, you know, I was talking about Greg and him being brave. I also think that he hired people that he believed in, but he also trusted them. And so there were some moments, there was a moment that really helped me. And this is actually what I was referencing when I was leaving the show. Um, There was a moment with grief counseling, actually, where Greg got it and Steve got it and I got it, but it was a hard episode to put flags on and say, this is what's happening to the character because it was so internal. 
And I think we had some notes of like, make sure the audience understands what's happening. And I knew Steve did. I knew Greg did. And I know I did. But are people going to be a little confused with this? Are they not? So Greg went through my episode and was maybe trying to put little signposts that if we needed them, great, they're there. If not, we'll pull them out in editing. And he was trying to sort of navigate this. And I had written it in a way that it was difficult to do that. (laughs) So after about six or eight hours, for better or for worse, I don't think it was all like beautifully written in a way that was intractable, but like I think that it was everything depended on the last thing. It was one of those where it was like he was literally going through all the stages of grief. And Greg at one point came to me and said, I want you to go into your office. I want you to think about anything that we did to try to put the signposts in or any jokes that, you know, we came up with that we should add or not add or whatever, whatever. We, and I want you to, to figure out what do you want it to be? What do you not want it to be? What are those things do you want? And then we're going to shoot whatever you come out of your office with. And that moment was like, there was such faith and such trust and that gave me such a huge lift. I mean, in my career, in my own confidence level. And that actually I referenced when I was leaving. He's like, wait a minute, (laughs) I caused this. (laughs) But I think that personally, professionally, writer-wise, that meant a lot to me because I had been on staffs of shows where someone didn't get my sensibility, get my sense of humor, or you spend a lot of time trying to get something in someone else's voice that you don't believe in as much. So I felt very grateful. But the quick answer is I felt very grateful to be at the party. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you've said a number of times that their connection to us, but the characters are a creation by the actors in conjunction with the writers and your contribution to the show and your, your leadership throughout multiple seasons, but you leading it in one is, um, huge. Oh, thank you. I just, thank you. (laughs) I felt so lucky to be there. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so Ah, much for coming in. Oh, I hope so. (laughs) I took you longer than I should have. That's what she said. Well, because I, I I didn't even talk about that. Can I tell you one quick thing? Oh yes, please. I literally got talked to once about it. Not, not in a like, but like Mike Sher and Greg were like, could you be a tiny bit more selective in the amount of times you say that's what she said? But that just made as me- As a get, person that, or a yeah, writer? Yeah, no, in the room, as a, as a person, because constantly I, so Greg ended up thinking that there were two parts of my brain, one that was thinking of comedy and story, and the other one was just trolling for that's what she said setups. <laughs> so what they did is they just made me more clever about it. Like I would have scenarios where like five people involved with it, and it would be like three levels of dialogue deep, and then I'd be like, that's what she said. <laughs> so it just just made my brain work harder, but I spent a lot of time up in the writer's room saying that's what she said because I, never... I would constantly hear that setup. Who came up with it? BJ brought it into the show. Um, I think it was something that pre-existed, and then he brought up brought it into the show, but it was definitely BJ. But I have been credited for it only because I said it so many times <laughs> that people are like, what the fuck? Uh, but yeah, no, BJ brought it up. Oh, God. But I took it and ran You it. took it and ran. <laughs> Um, okay. Thank you. What did I tell you? Oh, Jen, 
is the absolute best. Thanks for joining me, Jen. I am so glad that the world got to hear, well, from the woman behind the words. Uh, And to everyone else, thank you for listening. And guess what? Ding, 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 ding. Special announcement. Why don't you come back tomorrow? Yeah, because I am launching the rest of my conversation with our spectacular writer, Mike Schur. Or you might know him as Dwight's weirdo cousin, Mose. See you tomorrow, everyone. The Office Deep Dive is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Lang Lee. Our senior producer is Tessa Kramer. Our producers are Liz Hayes and Diego Tapia. My main man in the booth is Alec Moore. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend Creed Bratton. And the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. Look through your children's eyes, and you will discover the true magic of a forest. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Hillary Clinton, and I'm so excited to be back with a third season of You and Me Both. When I started this podcast, we were going through some tough times, and let's face it, we still are. And here's what I know. We cannot get through this alone. So please join me for more conversations with people who will make you think, make you laugh, and help us find a path forward. This season, I'll be talking about the state of our democracy with experts and with people organizing on the ground. We'll draw inspiration from some amazing people like Olympic star Allison Felix and Grammy Award winner Brandi Carlisle. And we'll get into the hard stuff with writer Cheryl Strayed and my dear friend and colleague Huma Abedin. So join us, listen to you and me both on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.